Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Thursday, August 17th. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in the New York metropolitan area. And includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Caroline Ely. And I'm Christina Lulich. And here's What's What near you. New York health officials are issuing guidance after a rare but potentially deadly bacterial infection was discovered in a recently deceased person on Long Island. Governor Kathy Hochul said yesterday that the Vibrio mimicus bacteria was found in an individual in Suffolk County who had recently died. The bacteria can cause skin breakdown and ulcers. She went on to add that fatal cases of vibriosis have also been identified in Connecticut recently. Hochul said that even though the bacteria is rare, its presence in the New York area poses an extraordinary risk. She says that while the state conducts a more thorough investigation, New Yorkers should stay vigilant and take responsible precautions to keep themselves safe. State health officials say the best ways to avoid potential vibriosis infections are to protect open wounds from the seawater, especially warm seawater. And people with compromised immune systems should avoid raw or undercooked shellfish, which could also carry the bacteria. There is a possibility that there will be no school bus drivers this September. According to the school's chancellor, David Banks, school bus drivers could go on strike at the start of the new school year. The Amalgamated Transit Union is a labor organization that represents employees in the public transit industry. They're currently negotiating with several companies that are responsible for providing bus service to public school students. The union's calling for a contract that entails better wages and benefits. Workers for at least four of the school bus companies already agreed to the strike. A strike would impact up to 150,000 New York City students who rely on school buses for transportation. And Christina, school buses serve some of the city's most vulnerable students. That includes children with disabilities, and those who live in foster care or homeless shelters. The city's Department of Education is already working on contingency plans, like providing students with metro cards or reimbursing their transportation costs. If the school bus drivers strike, it'll be the first time since January of 2013. If you're a New Yorker who typically finds paying bus fares optional, you may want to know that the city is cracking down on evasions. The MTA is announcing a new initiative that'll help ensure commuters are paying their fair share. It's called the Bus Stop Hub. It's the MTA's new approach to curb fare evasion. Evasion and graffiti lawlessness eradication teams, also known as EGLE, will be deployed to bus stops where fare evasion is the highest. Riders will be expected to show proof that they've paid for the bus. If a person can't show that they've covered their fare, they will be issued a summons from $50 to $100. And while the fine would be more expensive than paying the ticket cost of $275, many New Yorkers still cannot afford to pay it. According to the 2023 NYC True Cost of Living report, half of New Yorkers can't afford to live in the city. And 33% of bus riders skip out on paying. But the MTA says the Eagle teams will not just curb fare evasion, but also inform New Yorkers on payment options. That includes reduced fares and student metro cards. This is in whole one of the ways the MTA is trying to combat the loss of over $300 million due to people not paying for transportation. New York City is banning the app TikTok from city-owned devices. Agencies are required to remove the app within the next 30 days. This comes as the New York City Cyber Command found that TikTok posed a security threat to the city's technical networks. 
Moving forward, city employees are barred from downloading or using the app and accessing TikTok's website on city-owned devices. During two special nights each summer, the High Line transforms from a park to an open-air dance floor, where New Yorkers and visitors come together to enjoy the sounds of local salsa legends and learn dance moves from the masters. Ariba is the High Line's longest-running public program that brings together all levels of dancers over a shared passion of salsa. The event is intergenerational and open to anyone who is excited to learn. It begins tonight, and even though pre-registration is closed, walk-ups and spectators are always welcome as long as the event is not at capacity. On this day in 2011, Katy Perry had her fifth number one hit off of her record-breaking album, Teenage Dream. She joined a very exclusive club matching Michael Jackson's record from his Bad album when her song Last Friday Night hit number one. The other four number one hits on that five-hit track included California Girls, Firework, E.T., and the title track, Teenage Dream. Osborne Association is a New York City-based nonprofit that works with people impacted by the criminal legal system. They help prepare incarcerated individuals for successful re-entry, but they're facing budget cuts from the Department of Correction. So WFUV's Maya Sargent sat down with Arkna Jayaram, the president and CEO of Osborne Association, to discuss their work and the consequences of these cuts for New Yorkers. I would love if you could just start by describing um, Osborne Association and its approach. So Osborne Association has been around for 90 years. Um, we have been working with incarcerated people for our entire history of 90 years. Our current approach is to think about it in sort of three, three ways. One is to prevent people from coming into incarceration. So we would call that diversion or alternatives to incarceration. The sort of flip side of that is reentry support. So if you've been incarcerated either in jail or in prison, that on your sort of reentry back to the community that we're providing supports that will help you be successful in that reentry, um, and then I think the other piece is just around you know wherever we can intervene to shorten the amount of time people spend incarcerated and to ensure that the conditions of their incarceration are humane and are um, creating space for maintaining connections with community and family. How is um, Osborne Association working to address the needs, and you touched on this, needs of people following incarceration? But then I guess the angle, how does this play out against the recent public discourse surrounding conditions um, at Rikers? So with regard to the conditions on Rikers, um, I think a number of the challenges that we see on Rikers have to do with a very high population, um, you know, comparatively low uh, to history, but comparatively high to the most recent past, particularly around COVID, where the numbers got to be pretty low. Um, we're seeing an increase in case processing time, meaning that detainees who should be experiencing a speedy trial are um, taking a, a longer time to get their case processed. Um, there's a number of reasons for those delays. They can happen at the judiciary level. They can happen with the attorneys that are involved. They can happen with the production to court by the Department of Correction. 
The thing that happens when court processing doesn't happen as fast as it should is that the people who are incarcerated, who are really detainees and are only there pending the outcome of their case, are living in a really uncertain time where they're just cycling and waiting for their next court date and ultimately are not um, in a stable setting. Um, and so it just creates a lot of tension and frustration. Uh, it's also a really big bill that the city ends up paying. You've touched on it briefly, but what are talking about community and meeting people where they are and getting people back on their feet? What do you think are some of the misconceptions about incarcerated people? There's a dehumanizing kind of effect, um, both in terms of being incarcerated and what you experience when you're incarcerated, but also in terms of the way that we, as a general public, sort of uh, perceive what it means to be an incarcerated person. I've never met an incarcerated person who doesn't care about their community and their family and the impact that their incarceration has on their loved ones. And I think it is just a sense of like, those are dangerous bad guys. And I think the idea that we can reduce our brothers and sisters to something so simple is, you know, that's like a real flaw in our humanity. And I think that's something that we just really have to to work to understand that there's more to that story and like don't believe the sort of superficial stereotypes that you hear. That was WFUV's Maya Sargent talking with Arkna Jayaram about her work at Osborne Association. And that's our show for today. But check back with us tomorrow around 3 o'clock for more news, music, and culture. And as always, you can find more from us at the WFUV News website and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Caroline Ely. And I'm Christina Lulich. And that's What's What.